Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. You're listening to Bay Curious. Today, we're talking about homelessness. Well, you know, if the people, um, they need to come out and see what's really going on instead of sitting in their big glass houses and labeling us as all as drug addicts, come out there and spend time with us, really talk to us and see what's going on. See the kind of hardship that we are having because you never know. You can have all this one day and anything can happen where you will lose it all. That's the voice of Pastor Elaine Amos, who was living in San Francisco's first navigation center when KQED spoke with her last year. She's one of tens of thousands of people around the Bay Area who do not have a home. Homelessness isn't just about the people you see sleeping on the streets or in tents pitched under highways. It's also people who sleep in shelters, in cars and RVs, or those who spend every night on a different friend's couch. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. Last year, we asked you, our listeners, to submit questions you had about homelessness. More than 1,300 of you responded, and we've answered a lot of those questions already in a couple other pieces we've done and an episode of KQD Forum. But on today's episode, we're going to look at three of the questions that came up over and over again. Hundreds of you asked each of these questions. Let's begin. Hi, my name is Marina Goffney. I live in San Jose. I'd like to know, what are the main causes of homelessness in the Bay Area? That's sort of a question you can answer in two ways. There are systematic causes, the ways society makes homelessness possible. We'll touch on those in a minute. But there are also the personal stories that people share when you ask how they ended up without a home. I wake up in my truck, and this morning I woke up to the of uh, the authorities asking me to leave. This is Mark, not his real name, who was struggling to find a job after the recession. Then a few of his close friends died. And soon after, he found himself living on the street. We spoke with him last year. I was uh, um, trying to get myself back from um, the recession and everything. And I was uh, renting a room here in uh, the area. Um, And I ended up uh, 
getting getting forced out essentially um and i just did not have enough money to uh, get my own place i wasn't ready you know getting that uh that big uh lump sum for a deposit on a on an apartment is is quite a challenge every other year cities and counties around the bay area survey homeless people and ask what's the primary cause of your homelessness In San Francisco and Santa Clara, the most frequent response to this question was losing a job. The next most common reason? Alcohol or drug abuse. When I got into drugs, that was about 38 years ago. Here's Elaine Amos again. Like many on the street, she says her homelessness is a combination of factors. Sometimes it can actually be difficult to pinpoint a primary cause because the person has just been through so much. Well, the homeless came when I first lost my kids, and then it was very hard. The depression and everything led me into drugs, and it was kind of hard to try to get a place. In addition to her depression and drug use, Amos had been in an abusive relationship. And then there's her health. I'm in a wheelchair, and that became very bad out there I'm being homeless. It got worse. I got very, very sick. Other common causes homeless people self-report are eviction, divorce, health problems, or being asked to leave by a family or friend. Weathering one of these life events can be hard enough, but two, three, four, maybe, all at the same time, it compounds really quickly. Though everyone dealing with homelessness has their own story, there is one unifying issue. We have a poverty problem in this country. This is Kevin Fagan a San Francisco Chronicle reporter who has spent years covering homeless issues. He spoke to KQED about this time last year. 30% of Americans are at or near poverty level. When you have that level of poverty, you're not going to eliminate homelessness. You're fixing homelessness on the other end. Even though San Francisco has housed more than 22,000 people since 2004, the number of homeless people in the city hasn't significantly decreased. So we're essentially bailing the the tide out. Advocates say there isn't a large safety net for the poor. Federal funding for housing was slashed in the 1980s and has been on a decline pretty much ever since. These days, the wait lists for public housing are extremely long, and most cities in the Bay Area have actually closed their wait lists down, sometimes for years at a time. If we had the kind of affordable housing funding that we had uh, way back, decades ago, it would be a different picture. If the minimum wage paid uh, what it did decades ago instead of half what it did in 1980 um, in terms of buying power, we'd have a different picture. To solve the problem, we need to have a system where people can afford housing. Until that happens, progress will be hard. For this next question, I'm outside City Hall where I'm speaking with Kelly Cutler. Hi, I am the human rights organizer with the Coalition on Homelessness. Okay, let's hear our listener question. My name is Samuel Hamner, and I live in San Francisco. My question is, what's the best thing I can do to help homeless neighbors who I see on a regular basis sleeping on my block? In particular, I was inspired to ask this question because of my neighbor, Larry. I often see Larry daily as he makes his way around the neighborhood to find his nightly place to sleep tucked in the doorway of an empty building. So what can Samuel do to help Larry? First, I would start by asking Larry what he would like help with, because a lot of times folks may know the resources that are in the city and they know how limited they actually are. People tend to think that they go, oh, why doesn't someone go stay in a shelter? And what they don't understand is that, like as of today, 
Um, there's 1,081 people that are on the wait list just for the single adult shelter. That's not even including families. So it's, it's not that simple that you know, the resources aren't as readily accessible as people think they are. What about the interactions that you might have where you haven't met this person before and they're asking for help or money or food? What's the best way to respond in a caring way to a request like that? Okay. I, I often get the question, is it a good or a bad thing to give someone money on the streets? And everyone wants an answer to that. And uh, I, I don't have an answer for that. It's an individual decision that someone has to make. Uh, you can't assume what the money's going towards. People go, oh, it's going towards drugs or alcohol or whatever. Um, but that, that may not necessarily be the case. There's a lot of things that aren't available uh, through service providers. They cost money, so you, know, you need money. Are there any kind of creative gifts that you have known people to hand out that you would recommend? Um, like we've heard from people who hand out, you know, of course, like granola bars is kind of one that people mention a lot. Um, I met a woman who hands out tampons to women mm -hmm. um, who are homeless. So any sort of creative ideas there? Definitely. Um, and granola bars can be good, but they also may not be good because a lot of folks are, um, have dental issues, and so they may not be able to eat those. Um, the thing, you will, you will quickly make new friends if you're handing out socks. People refer to them as freshies. And uh, if you think about it where, you know, the different laws where it's against a lot of sit or lie down, folks that are experiencing homelessness are walking a lot. And um, your feet, the health of your feet is really important. So socks is very popular. Tampons are very popular. Um, water is a really good one, um, as well as wet naps for cleaning up for so many things. Hoodies, hoodies are good, uh, especially here in the city where it gets chilly. Uh, oftentimes I just encourage people to ask folks what they need. The answers are often really simple. Well, Kelly Cutler, thank you so much for uh, answering some of our questions today. It was my pleasure. One thing the San Francisco Coalition on Homelessness cautions against is calling the police on someone who isn't posing a threat. There are agencies that are just better equipped to handle someone in psychiatric crisis or needing help getting off the street. We've got information about some of those resources on our website, baycurious.org. The third question we're going to answer is about solutions. My name is Charles McIntyre. I live in Aptos, California. I'd like to know which city has been the most successful in providing sustainable opportunities for the homeless? Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. tell, tell us about what happened in Minneapolis. This is Josh Bamberger, an associate clinical professor of family and community medicine at UCSF. He's a medical doctor who has spent his entire professional life helping homeless people. Okay, back to Minneapolis. First of all, they have a housing benefit that is available to all the people in the state. It's about a $900 a month benefit that can only be used for housing. You can actually get off the streets with just that voucher. Minneapolis, they invest in housing navigators who identify people who need help to get off the streets and to learn what type of housing they need. Do they need intensive supportive housing? Do they just need regular housing? So we expect in Minneapolis that chronic homelessness will reach what we call functional zero by the end of this calendar year. They've already had functional zero for veterans and for families. So they're really ahead of the curve across the country 
by combining state benefit with medical in, um, investment. So other cities that have done similar, Salt Lake is another very similar type of city. Phoenix has done well. The state of Connecticut is actually doing quite well as well. So there are places that do have higher than average rental costs, like the state of Connecticut, that have made progress. And then the real exciting place in this country is Los Angeles, where we can expect 10,000 units of publicly supported housing in the next four years. Wow. And so you are a medical doctor who has become a sort of go-to expert about homeless issues and homeless policy. Tell me a little bit just about your work and how you kind of found yourself sort of at the intersection of these things. So I went to medical school to take care of homeless people. It's all I've ever done. And in that role, I found that nothing I really have in my doctor's bag helps people to survive longer if they're homeless, except housing. So I can prescribe all sorts of medicines, do all sorts of tests, but I'm kind of living in an alternate universe if I think that I'm going to help people if I don't find a way to get them off the streets and move them into beautiful housing where they can have the respect and dignity that we all deserve. So you really see housing as part of the salve that would, would help people? Uh, housing is the treatment for homelessness. Can you sort of explain for people who aren't familiar with the concept of housing first what mm -hmm. that means? So housing first from a medical intervention makes total sense, right? You can't help someone to take their medicines, to inject their insulin if they're living on the streets. They have to have a stable, safe place to both feel good enough to take their medicines and like I'm valuable enough to take my medicines and also have an environment where they can store and know where their medicines are. So housing is the first thing you do and then you work towards substance abuse treatment, mental health care and so forth. And so you did mention Salt Lake City, which um, a lot of people bring up when, when they talk about where things are working. What have they done there that kind of gets all this attention? So what they do in Salt Lake, first of all, they have a very strong philanthropic component where many people are expected in the Mormon community to tithe 10% of their income. So that was one thing they did. The next thing they did is they really got to know the homeless people. So that's not something we've done in San Francisco with the 6,500 or so homeless people on the streets tonight. We just don't know most of what they need. And if we did, we wouldn't have it for them since we just don't have the housing stock. So that was the third part about Salt Lake is they have quite a bit of housing and it's not so expensive. You can get a studio apartment 100 yards from the mother church in Salt Lake for 360 bucks a month. Try that in San Francisco. So stock philanthropy, understanding the conditions of the people who are homeless, and lastly was leadership, is everybody was working towards the same goal of ending homelessness. Though we say we do that in San Francisco, there are a lot of competing forces that get in the way of a true focus, a, cru a true leadership that says, when I get up in the morning, I'm going to end homelessness for 10 people. How many people in city government do that? Not enough. Is there anything right now that's happening in San Francisco that can give us hope? Is there anything you're, you're looking at and you're excited about? It's a long pause. <laughs> no, that's not, not looking good. Um, the housing stock, our pipeline for affordable housing is smaller than it's been in a long time. I mean, maybe four or five years is looking okay. 
But with the health department, we had 150, 200 new units every year from 1995 until 2013. That was some good housing. And I know that people of San Francisco feel frustrated that the number of people they see sleeping on the streets in the Tenderloin doesn't seem to have shifted. But we've moved a huge number of people indoors. The people continue to be there. And we haven't made the progress I wish we had at this time. But the pipeline for new affordable housing is too small. So if the answer is housing and the housing isn't there, then it's hard for me to get excited about an opportunity. I think that looking at 2022, 2024, it looks better. But between now and then, I mean, my older son is 14, and I thought that he would be reading about homelessness in the history books by the time he finished high school. And we're not there. Josh Bamberger, thank you so much for talking with us today. I learned a lot. Thank you very much. The researchers for this show were Jessica Placek, Vinnie Tong, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Elaine Amos and Mark, thank you for sharing your stories with us and KQED Forum. Deep gratitude to our three question askers, Marina Goffney, Samuel Hamner, and Charles McIntyre. And a final thanks to everyone else who sent us great questions. We've got the answers to many more at baycurious.org. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Thanks for listening. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.